2: Yesterday we spoke about Christian Eriksson from Denmark who collapsed on a soccer pitch on Saturday during his team's Euro 2020 opening match against Finland. Thankfully, due to the quick response of his teammates and medical staff, he has recovered from the cardiac arrest and continues to undergo detailed examinations while in hospital. To discuss the importance of awareness around cardiac conditions in young people, I'm joined by Dr. Deirdre Ward, who is a consultant cardiologist and she's with the organisation CRY, which is cardiac risk in the young. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. The way Christian Erickson collapsed, how common is that?
1: Um, well, in young people, it's it's fairly uncommon. Um, so uh, in people under the age of 35, it happens in about three per 100,000 of the population. Um, and so uh, that, that is very small. It's much more common in older people because uh, heart attacks are can cause this. So it, it certainly would be much more common in the over 65. Um, but it does happen in young people. And unfortunately, very often the outcome isn't as good as it was for Christian Erikson. So we know that um, somewhere between 80 and 120 people under the age of 35 will actually die of sudden cardiac death in Ireland every year. And no warning signs? Often not. I mean, sometimes it's hard to determine that, absolutely. Um, Sometimes people will have had previous uh, symptoms such as unexplained blackouts or... Uh, significant dizziness or severe palpitations racing of the heart for no particular reason sometimes people are limited in their exercise capacity because of heart muscle conditions Um, but sometimes people don't appear to have a warning and unfortunately sometimes you can have an underlying condition and it doesn't affect your function unless your heart rhythm is suddenly disturbed and becomes chaotic and that can unfortunately be uh, fatal in the first instance
2: and, I mean, Christian Erikson, he's 29, a full-time soccer player, so, you know, extremely fit. Could the, could his workload, and his workload as a soccer player, could that be
1: anything to do with it? Not usually if you have a normal heart. So if you don't have a pre-existing condition, you shouldn't be able to exercise yourself into cardiac arrest. But if you have an underlying condition, exercise will increase the chances through uh, sort of relative oxygen deprivation um, and also sometimes through becoming overheated, dehydrated, uh, the salts or electrolytes in your system being deranged by the high level exercise and sweating and, and that sort of thing um, so it, it certainly is increased with exercise um, but the exercise on its own shouldn't be an issue it, it's usually if you have an underlying condition.
2: So how can somebody find out if they're at risk of this I mean talk to me about the type of screening that's available for these cardiac conditions.
1: Well, it it sort of depends on your prior risk. So it, a lot of the conditions, we deal with inherited cardiac conditions. So if somebody in the family has suffered a sudden cardiac arrest or a sudden cardiac death, then you uh, you may have a one in two chance of also being affected because it may be inherited. About 50% of the people who have sudden cardiac death in the young will have a genetic condition. Um, so if you have a family history of this then you may be at high risk and that's the kind of uh, evaluation that we would provide for people who are very high risk. For the general population, if you have no family history, then the risk of these conditions is relatively low. I suppose the most common condition that we would see is a thing called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy where the heart muscle grows thicker than normal and about one in 500 of the population carry a gene for this condition. But some of the other conditions um, that we would look for, electrical conditions, are even rarer uh, Long QT syndrome is probably the commonest electrical condition and about one in 2,000 of the population have that. So if you don't have a family history, and it's certainly worth people you know, chatting among the family and discussing whether or not uh, there have been events in the family even going back a few generations. If you don't have a family history, your risk may be small. But for most sporting activities when they're played at a high level now, they are usually asked to at least fill in a questionnaire to say um, if they have any symptoms uh, that limit their ability to play sport or if they've had severe palpitations or dizziness or unexplained blackouts. And if they have had any of those, then they're usually recommended to go for at least arresting ECG. So that will give us information about the electrical system in the heart and it, it is often abnormal if they have heart muscle problems as well. Um, and then if that's abnormal, people go on to have further testing with an echocardiogram or ultrasound of the heart. And then sometimes electrical uh, exercise testing and uh, when wearing a heart rhythm monitor for 24 or 48 hours.
2: And then is treatment available for, for people who would get diagnosed with something?
1: Yes, so there yeah. are treatments available. I mean, none of the, the genetic conditions are currently curable. That may change in the future. But generally, if we identify somebody as being affected, we can take uh, measures to protect them against the complications. So in the simplest form, that is sometimes taking medication and avoiding medication that can actually significantly increase your risk of developing rhythm problems. And at the most extreme case, if we think that even the sort of the medication and, and lifestyle changes don't reduce somebody's risk we do use implantable defibrillators um, and these are you know an internal device that monitors the heart rhythm and if you have if you do develop the the life-threatening chaotic heart rhythm it will recognize it and and treat it potentially within 20 seconds
2: okay and when you mentioned defibrillator it was a defibrillator that saved this young man's uh, life do we have enough defibrillators in this country
1: we probably don't know how many we have. I mean, we're, we're better at recording and linking them to the ambulance service, and that will be the ideal is to have a register of where they are, who has them, how accessible they are, and are they all up to date. Um, so a, a lot of communities over the last 10 or 15 years have fundraised and got defibrillators into sports pitches, into public locations, um, uh, into schools. So there certainly are a lot of them around, and it definitely is improving uh, the survival from cardiac arrest in communities, um, and that is very closely monitored. Um, but we could always do it more, and probably what's even more important is that people are aware of how to do CPR, Mm. Um, because that is the thing that you know. even if it takes a while to get the defibrillator to you, if somebody isn't doing effective CPR then even if your heart has restarted your brain function will probably be permanently uh, damaged but if you start good quality CPR and anybody can do it and the ambulance service will now coach people as soon as they put in a 999 call they will be coached on how to do it and that makes a huge difference then because that keeps the brain alive while you wait for the, the external defibrillator to arrive.
2: I can save somebody's life Okay. And uh, people can find out more information from your organisation, CRY? That's right, yeah.
1: Okay. All right, listen, uh,
2: Deirdre, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Dr. Deirdre Ward, consultant cardiologist with CRY, cardiac risk in the young.